Welcome to the new and improved Fanthropological Now Without a Laugh Track. Today we're talking about fans of M.A.S.H. And welcome back to Phanthropological, the podcast that covers the breadth of human fandom. My name is Nick G, and today we're going to be talking about one of the most celebrated television shows of all time and its fandom. And here with me to do that are my two best friends, Nick T. I am going to live through this, even if it kills me. And Nick Z. Welcome to the podcast. This is where you can get the best care anywhere. If you're having any health problems, please seek a medical professional. Do not uh, consult this podcast first. Definitely do not consult this podcast for advice because I'm going to be completely honest, gents. I have not actually seen any MASH, so this makes today's episode a very strange one. Normally, we view the fandoms that we look at from the perspective of an outsider, at least a semi-outsider. And today, I'm like, I'm truly an outsider today. And despite that, I'm going to get us started somehow to talk about the MASH fandom. And the best way to get started, in case you didn't know anything about MASH, is I'm going to give us a little bit of a foundation on the show, movie, book. Apparently there are multiple aspects to this. Hmm. Multimedia franchise. (laughs) I I wouldn't normally argue that, and I wouldn't today either. MASH is an American war comedy drama television series that aired on CBS from 1972 to 1983. It was developed by Larry Gelbert, adapted from the 1970 feature film MASH, which in turn was based on Richard Hooker's 1968 novel MASH, a novel about three army doctors. The series, which was produced with 20th Century Fox Television for CBS, follows a team of doctors and support staff stationed at the 4077th Mobile Army Surgical Hospital in, and I am really bad with my Korean, mostly because I do not speak it. I think that's Weijongbu. Have I got that, Z? Sounds about right. Uh, If you do speak Korean, let us know at the next cast on Twitter, and uh, maybe I'll learn something about Korean. Uh, In any case, Weijongbu, South Korea, during the Korean War from 1950 to 1953. The show's title sequence features an instrumental-only version of Suicide is Painless, the original film's theme song which was popular enough to become the UK's best-selling song, hitting number one and staying for three weeks in May, June of 1980. The show was created after an attempt to film the original book's sequel, MASH Goes to Maine, failed. The television series is the best-known example of the MASH works and one of the highest-rated shows in United States television history. And I did not realize what that meant exactly. I managed to find a list of the different episodes and their various ratings and also including the season's ratings. And with the exception of the first season where it ranked in the fifties or something like that, MASH was routinely in the top 10. Wow. Knowing next to nothing about the other shows that were running, that's just ridiculous. The other thing too, is there are far fewer shows than like period. Right. So are you implying that it's easier to break into the top 10 or? (laughs) I mean, it's, it's, it's possible to capture a lot more people mm-hmm. at once. And like I'm saying, the bar is actually, I don't know what I'm saying. In a sense, it's probably a little bit lower, but I mean, like there were, it's, this is back in a time when there were three networks, CBS, ABC, and I want to say NBC. 
And I think all of those were, or at least one of them was free to air. So you didn't even need to necessarily pay for it, if I understand what free to air means properly. So it's not like you had to, you know, pay for 50 channels and really only want those three. Those three were the only game in town. I have a point about this in my main notes, and I'm going to come back to that later. In the meantime, I'm going to keep the train a rolling through these fandom facts. I did look up search data and in a surprise twist, I feel like we're getting a lot of surprise twists during the search data part. It looks like there actually has been an increase in interest in MASH. Now, it's hard to say because it's been running since the 1970s and Google Trends data only goes back to 2004. And interest was generally on the decline until December 2014. Then suddenly it goes on the uptick. I suspect this has to do with its release on Netflix in February 2015, uh, Hulu on January 2017, and the release of all of the episodes in March 2018 to Hulu. But that means that people are actually watching this. Yeah. That means people are actually looking for MASH. And presumably, these are not people that watched MASH. Because if they did, they would just sign on to Netflix or Hulu and, hey, there's MASH. These are people that probably don't know what it is or what it's about. <laughs> I think our our generation is certainly like well aware of MASH being a thing. I don't know how many people of our generation have seen it. Yeah. But I, su- I suspect that when it, it appeared on streaming services, people are like, oh, I hear a lot of people talking about this thing being really good. Should I... Did I sit and watch 11 seasons of it? Google, should I sit and watch 11 seasons of it? Let me know. That'd be my guess. That is not something that I looked up, but now I regret that I didn't. (laughs) Like, should I watch 11 seasons of MASH? Like, just pound that into Google, what comes out? I'll have to look that up after the show. Depending on what day it is or where you are in the world, it might say... uh, only watch the first five seasons or uh, don't bother with the last three or four. You know, Alan, Ald- Alan Alda apparently got a little too crazy with it or whatever. I don't even know what that means, but uh, there are some opinions apparently about different seasons, which ones are the best. I, I did come across a bunch of opinions like that, and I'm also going to table that <laughs> until later. <laughs> Perfect. I did not find any fan demographics, but in a desperate plea to have fan demographics anyway, I found a thread called what is the average age of the MASH viewer? Mm. And normally I would just give up and say, well, this is too hard. But this week, being short of information, I took the page, I popped into my handy JavaScript console and did some quick maths. (laughs) (laughs) And was able to extract some data from that page from the approximately 100 data points from that page, which is self-selected because it's on Reddit, Mm -hmm. which means it already implies a certain demographic, uh, whatnot. I managed to find a whole bunch of statistical data about ages. For example, the average age was 28.2. The median Uh was 27. The mode was 30. If you know stats. There you go. If you don't, I'm not going to explain them because I'm a jerk. No. Um, median is, is the middle number and mode is the most common number. The max age was 54 and the minimum age was 10. Wow. Oh, wow. Very surprised by that. Other than that, the data was scarce. However, in an article that I didn't expect to have the information I was looking for, but did anyway, there was a tidbit from an article, 17 things you might not know about MASH. 
spoiler alert, I did not know any of those things. (laughs) In that article, they mentioned this, and that is 77% of the people watching television in the United States on the night of Monday, February 28th, 1983, were watching the two and a half hour series finale, Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen. At the time, that was 121.6 million people. A company only had to pay $30,000 to run a 30-second commercial when MASH was started uh, in 1972, but for the series finale, that same 30-second spot cost (laughs) (laughs) $450,000. Jeez. Now, you're reading from some of the same places that I am, but did you guys see it has been surpassed in total viewership, but not in ratings or an audience share? If you guys didn't see what that was, would you care to guess what passed it oh in terms of viewers yes i'm gonna go game of thrones okay Z. i mean it's the most pirated episode most pirated <laughs> tv show so it's got to be the most watched right yeah that's how that works mm-hmm. i'd say a lost Ooh, good guess if all of those pirates had hbo perhaps <laughs> but it's unfortunately something really boring coronation street it is the super bowl oh, oh. super bowl Bye. yeah in, in 2010 <laughs> Yeah, Um, but it is is the most watched TV episode ever. Oh, I see. So if you change the definition, then then you got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But again, it didn't uh, match at higher ratings and a higher audience share. I don't think anything's ever going to touch that audience share ever in the history of (laughs) humanity. Yeah, I definitely have thoughts on that. There, it's all it's all coming together. I didn't, I haven't seen Mash, but somehow it's all coming together. Uh, I have a couple little fan activity fast facts to round things off before we dive into the main discussion, wherever that lands us. I managed to dig into archive of our own to see how many fanfics there are of Mash. Spoiler: there are more fanfics than some of the other things we've covered. There are mm. just over one thousand fan works related to Mash. The top three categories are unsurprisingly as as has been a trend looking at fan uh, fan works on archive of our own top three categories male male 528 which is just over half uh then gen uh 352 just 35 i'm just going to use the percentages and uh, female male about 20 percent when you take a look at the different fandoms that are involved it's almost entirely mash that's not to say there isn't crossover just that there isn't one gigantic you know, it's it's not MASH and Halo. It's not MASH and Starship Troopers. It's not MASH and Starship Troopers. Hmm. It's primarily MASH with MASH. Okay. Top three characters. I will let the two of you guess. I don't know. I only know one of these characters, really. So I'm going to say uh, Hawkeye. Okay. Am I guessing three? Yeah, well, sure. Guess three. Okay. I'm going to say Hulhan. And I'm going to say... Trap. Okay. Z, your guesses? I mean, geez. I know I know Z is, is a gigantic fan of MASH, so he obviously knows everything <laughs> that would come up, possibly. Well, I don't want to just make the same guesses except for one. So I'm going to guess a whole, wholly entirely different three characters. Okay. Uh, Radar, Frank, and uh, um, Henry... <laughs> Oh, yes. Clear, clear. <laughs> clear. Okay. Cool. Well, uh, as Meatloaf famously said, don't be sad. Two out of three ain't bad. And gee, you have got two out of the three. It is Hawkeye at about 80% of fanfics, BJ Honeycutt at about 43%, and 
Hot Lips Houlihan, about 25%. Top three relationships, Honeycutt and Hawkeye, Trapper and Hawkeye, and Houlihan and Hawkeye. <laughs> That guy was really all over the show, wasn't he? <laughs> had, a, had a lot of range. <laughs> uh, regardless of how much range Hawkeye had or did not have, that is all that I have for Fandom Facts this week. All right. So why MASH? Why? I'm going to answer that in a long and winding way. I'm going to start by saying, I don't know why MASH. All right. I, as, as an outsider, I had a very hard time trying to figure out, you know, why people are a fan of MASH. Not because the show seems inherently unlikable, not because the show seems dated or anything like that, but because I hadn't really ex- experienced it. And also mm-hmm. because, as Fanlore had said, and as my poor Googling skills had indicated, it was I was having a really hard time finding the fandom. Whatever fandom there is, is relatively small and this is this is kind of similar to what we'd seen with alien so all that i had to go off of was my own you know hypotheses about why mash or to extrapolate any older kind of thing why why there are fans of it and why people love it and i think the one of the reasons that it's got fans one of the reasons that people are like i'm a fan of mash is in part it like it ran for a long time it ran for 11 years Anything that runs for a long span of time, unless it's absolute garbage, is going to have some sort of a fan base. The Simpsons, which is not absolute garbage, which has been running for 30 years, and even though people love to complain about how bad it's gotten, still has lots of fans. Because it's hard for something to be in the, in the culture of, of television, the culture of the world, and not have some fans of it. We're talking like, like American seasons. We're talking like 25 episodes a season. Yeah. So that's like that's like a lot of episodes, like 250 episodes plus. Yeah. So that was that was one of the things. Um another thing, and this was one of the topics that came up early in the episode. It ran at a very important point, I think, in American history. Actually, both American history and American television history. I guess American media history. You're talking about the 1970s. I really should have looked up when television happened. The television's been around since like the 50s, right? 50s is when it, it started to happen, yeah. 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 So, like, that means that people who'd grown up with it, like, the oldest people that had grown up with it were in their 20s, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or the youngest people. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, there's that. There's the point that Z mentioned. There's only three television networks. So, that means you don't have a lot of choice in the TV that you watch. So, whatever you watch is, is going to be good. Or it's going to be <laughs> the, the best thing that's out there. And so you get a lot of people who are familiar with it and, and that's good. But that's not the only thing, right? Because you can have lots of shows that were around for a long time and ran at an important moment in history. Like, I don't know if you were the first Netflix show or something like that. Those, those two are necessary, but not sufficient conditions. It also tried to say something important about war in general. Yeah. Maybe to its benefit or detriment. And it also happened at a time when that was important. Yeah, It was about the Korean War, but the show, when it was airing, was also taking place during the Vietnam War. So, so like, it's, it's talking about the futility of war, the wastefulness of war, and it's doing this at a time when a war is happening. Yeah. When people are talking about war, when war is, you know, very much in the minds of everybody. And I think those three things are why 
people are fans of mash i mean broadly why people are fans of anything (laughs) something ran for a long time at an important time and said something important but like i think that's an important those are important aspects of why mash is popular i see your uh three reasons why t and i raise you one more Um, oh okay i think that there's there's also an argument to be made for the uh classic case of a show sort of growing up along with the people watching it because uh as i as i mentioned in the sort of pre-show banter uh, the first episode incredibly of its time a comedy that you know very easily probably a little misogynistic very over the top think animal house but in a 30 minute show about an army hospital in korea that's pretty much what the first episode was. Hmm. But then by the fourth season, uh, admittedly, I did a little research. I watched an episode uh, for the first time, Ooh, even though it fancy. had often been like the background radiation of my childhood because my parents were really into it. Um, but I watched okay. the fourth episode of the fourth season in which uh, Hawkeye, through some weird military error, is, is uh, written down, recorded as being dead, even though he's very much alive. And uh, it plays with the sort of the speed of communications at the time, um, where such that the military gets word back to his dad, his his only living relative, as far as I know, um, that he's dead. And so his, you know, dad is obviously distraught with the news and trying to get through to the base, trying to talk to uh, the commanding officer there to sort of sort things out. Hawkeye kind of figures this out and he's like, oh, but... I gotta, I gotta get in touch with him somehow. But you know, the lines are all jammed for this, that, and the other reason. Uh, there's like some, some. Uh, I think the president is coming or something. So they've cut down, cut communications, so that you know people can't leak that information or whatever. Um, you know, so it went from this show that was like basically a thirty minute Animal House to something that was a little bit more emotional. It still had a lot of comedic beats to it. Um, I will freely admit that i found it a pretty funny episode um but it had a lot more heart and there's a lot more um sort of of an emotional arc to it and i think that that carried on as the series went on but so that by like season 10 11 things were not necessarily less humorous but there was probably a little bit more at least from what i've heard what i've read there was more of a an emphasis on heart and I almost want to say maybe maybe just like a little little bit of grittiness in there, like a tiny, tiny bit. So I get the impression that it was a show that wasn't just one note for those 11 years, but it actually changed and sort of grew up along with the people who watched it. I uh, asked my wife, asked Chloe about it because hey. similar to you, Z, it was the background radiation of her childhood, except I think she was she probably watched it more. It- than you did yeah in the sound of it. <laughs> and it sounds like it really it took a turn once the um uh commanding officer henry blake yep it's like he got his papers he's going home right yeah so, and so the helicopter takes him off goes back home his helicopter gets shot down Ooh. a very dark moment and like kind of um kind of changes things from that point as i understand i know at one point it's it had a laugh track and then they stopped with the laugh track and just a general like why do you like mash kind of thing somebody mentioned that in britain it was never played with a laugh track yes i did see that yeah and then one time they did 
and they got angry letters. <laughs> You're like, what? Why would you do that to this show? And we get some, I understand, like some pretty serious situations. Like it, it's uh, clearly likened to Scrubs. Yes. Similarly, takes place in a hospital. Yeah. And, you know, you can have a lot of comedic elements, but like there's some grim stuff in hospitals no matter how you cut it. Yeah. So, like it was effectively an early dramedy. It wasn't, it wasn't like pure laughs. Or pure drama. It's it's interesting that you mentioned that point in the show too, because that seemed to be one of the dividing lines that I had seen, that I'd read about rather. People often talk about the show and uh, I, I have this one fan response that I read and it'll be included in the show notes. And it says, I can't remember a time when I didn't watch MASH. And while I loved the whole series, my favorite seasons were the first three with Trapper and Hawkeye at the heart of that. I love the joy they take in each other, the way they delight in delighting each other, whether they joke or a shared smile or drink after a hard day at the OR. They're hugely competent and smart and caring. And when they're together, all of that is more than multiplied. I also love that they can disagree and argue and fight and still come out of it with an intact, strong relationship. They may back each other, but they're not each other's yes men and they're not blind to each other's flaws. This is the first three seasons, and I believe it's at the end of the third season that Blake dies. Mm-hmm. coincidentally uh in that article 17 things you didn't know about mash apparently the actor who played that role had never formally signed a contract so huh. when oh, he left it, like writing him off of the show was not a problem because there was no contract to worry about mm. but like that is the beginning of the divide because they change up some of the cast they introduce some new characters and i think it's not till later that uh alan alda the actor who does hawkeye begins to take more of a of a role in in how the show goes but it is the beginning of like the show isn't just going to be hugely about the laughs it's going to be a bit more serious as you mentioned and i, I actually the laugh track started at the beginning they had a laugh track and over time they reduced the volume of the laugh track until it was removed interesting <laughs> like I, the the showrunners did not want a laugh track to be there and it's like, well, oh, okay. the network does, so you include it until, I guess, as the show gets more serious, you're like, eh, I don't need it. And in particular, they do not use the laugh track in the OR. Oh, appropriately, yeah. yeah. That I found interesting. Oh yeah, so I didn't realize that it was uh, it was put put upon them because um, like, well, comedies have laugh tracks, so people know when to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> but that in itself would be a it would be kind of a step. A step outside the norm. Yeah. I found an archive of uh, reviews of the pilot episode, actually. The first episode. Yeah, on MASH 4077. Big old fan website. It's been around since the 90s, so it's it's pretty huge. And yeah, most of the reviews say stuff like um, unusually adult humor or bloodier and bodier than anything else on TV. So it was Ooh. just this show that, at the time especially, was unlike anything else. I mean, I think G, like you really nailed it, saying that it was probably the first dramedy, at least American dramedy. It was just this giant monument of of American TV, and there's the, of course, as T mentioned, the uh, even though it took place during the Korean War, the probably very obvious at the time, and especially now, uh, satire of the military end of war, poking fun at the ongoing then Vietnam War, but. What that doesn't account for is the continuing popularity of the show. And I think that the experience 
that uh, that Chloe had and that I kind of had <laughs> is what <laughs> what got a lot of people really interested in the show because looking around on Reddit as you do when you do these sorts of things um, and reading the threads, you know, what got you interested in MASH? Why, why MASH? All that sort of stuff. There were a lot of stories of people when they were kids, it was a show that they would watch with their parents and then they got older and they were like, you know, I never finished that show or I want to watch, I want to, you know, watch that again, relive those nostalgic memories. So I think that that's kind of a big part of it too. And I mean, especially with the with the later seasons, it's not terribly body, really. So I mean, mm-hmm. it's it seems like a show where you know, if you've got like a eight, nine, ten, eleven year old, and there's only one TV <laughs> and three channels, it's you could probably watch worse things with them. Even later on, when it was when it got into syndication and would just be rerun multiple times a day on uh, certain TV networks here and there, it'd be super accessible. As you said, the humor was more in that review. You said adult, like adults humor or adult style humor, adult focused humor, something like that. A quote from J John J O'Connor of the New York times, the humor, (sighs) the humor, unusually adult. Now, I don't know if that means like, like sexual or anything like that, or if it just means more mature humor. Possibly like given that it's the pilot and like the plot of the pilot is basically let's send this, um, this Korean working on the base to America to study medicine. How are we going to do that? We're going to raffle off a date with the like highest, I want to say highest or higher, uh, ranking female officer. Um, you know, we'll ask permission later, whatever, uh, that kind of thing. So, Adults, maybe in the sense of sexual, but I want to say also probably more mature. I don't think like the fourth episode of the fourth season is a little pretty far removed from the first episode of the first season. But uh, I'd want to say that they've probably often based their humor on things that were maybe a little bit more mature than like one day Alice uh, bang zoom straight to the moon or, you know, like the honeymooners kind of stuff. I mean, not. Not super mature though. Like as an example, there there was an article from the New Yorker from I think it was about the person who wrote the book and how they really didn't like Mash, the the TV show. Yeah, and it was talking about some of the different hijinks that that would happen in the the show. It's like together they engage in hijinks and exhibit what today we might call bro behavior. Hornberger had been a dedicated fraternity member in college, and the novel's triumvirate of young doctors named Hawkeye, Trapper, and Duke at times comport themselves like badly behaved undergraduates. They rib one another, perpetrate elaborate practical jokes, call each other by pet names, objectify and harass women, play golf, gamble, drink, a surfeit of alcohol, and make a man cave of their shared living quarters, a tent they famously christen The Swamp. Oh, man. Each is happily married to a wife who awaits him back home, their service in Korea seems to offer them an opportunity to express a kind of second adolescence. So, I mean, mm. not super mature. Well, I mean, they're not quoting Shakespeare or anything. I was, I was, I was, just, I was heading toward basically it's still kind of a conversational cul-de-sac, but that like the writing was like good, especially for the time. Like it wasn't, um, wasn't pandering. It wasn't uh, over slapstick. It was like, 
you know, jokes that you would still find funny. Yeah. You know, yeah. years on. Apparently it was a lot of, a lot of the actors involved in the show were, and I don't know much about my movie television media history. They were part of like new Hollywood. They were people that were, you know, auditioning for like the theater and ended up in TV. So they might've ended up in stage comedy had they not ended up on the show. Okay. So they they all got their timing. The other thing that I read up on was like similar to the dramedy aspect is that it was also one of the first shows to kind of have multiple plot lines going in one episode, often a dramatic one and a, and a humorous one. But like, I feel like that's, that's almost standard these days. Your, your A, B and C plot in the episode. And sometimes they meet. <laughs> I was trying to think of something I was watching lately. And it's like, Oh yeah. B plot. <laughs> <laughs> Man, this was this just, this is just a hard thing to do because there's less to speculate on. There's just not a lot of information about that point in time. I mean, shy of of really diving in and going through the forums on uh, like the 4077 site or bestcareanywhere, I want to say, .com. Um, and, you know, just really plumbing the depths. It seems like it's it's tricky to, to really nail down just because it was it started out so long ago. But I think we've covered a lot of the why what i find really curious though and this is a perfect answer to my famous last words from last week which Mm. which were what was the early fandom like more or less that's the essence of the question anyway um and it was kind of surprising that at least based on what i could find on on uh, fan lore um about the early fandom and especially zines and that kind of thing they're really wasn't anything going on fan-wise during the show as far as i can tell it wasn't until the show was ending in 1981 um not the show ended in 1981 but uh in 1981 there was um a zine double natural which was a hundred page uh, gen anthology, which included a few mash fix. Um, in 1983, the mash newsletter started and also seems to have ended. Oh, wow. But, but um, this newsletter seemed to contain some really like serious stuff about the show. And even the, the editor, the editor's note you know, kicking off the newsletter basically says, you know, people who love this show, uh, fanatics, and I quote, fanatics like us, it's just hard to find other people, you know, who enjoy the show as much as we do, who get all the jokes on these different levels and remember the moments and that sort of thing. That's what this newsletter is all about. So there must have been some strong community. But it's strange because in that same newsletter, one of the one of the articles was like an ac- almost an academic paper uh, about the show. And part of its thesis was that the further the property, the IP mash itself got away from the book, the original form, the less potent uh, its political message became. So interesting. Yeah. Because from what I read, it was almost the opposite, but I won't dwell on that. <laughs> Well, I mean, this is one opinion in 1983, so 
with with hindsight and everything and the the luxury of time and whatnot that could be reversed but i found that very interesting because the newsletter came out uh the same year that the show ended and i just got this really strong sense from that from from some of the other things uh, that i was reading that people were kind of okay with the show ending it wasn't the case that you know oh the network says we've got to wrap this up uh we ran out of money or they've got to make room for this new show or anything like that it's like no the creators seemed to say we've wrapped everything up uh here's this two and a half hour episode all the loose ends are tied off everything's done this is it that's mash thanks everybody man which doesn't happen very often in tv general like sense of peace with yeah. the uh, finality of the show. I mean, they already they, yeah. they already got almost four times the length of the Korean War <laughs> in seasons. <laughs> I didn't see a lot about it, but I saw at least one fan's attempt to take all 11 seasons and like put them on a timeline that made it fit oh boy. <laughs> within the three years of the Korean War. So oh there's there's awareness of that fact within the fandom. And some people apparently have tried to deal with it. I was going to say, I saw someone's comment that was like, uh, I don't know how, how they managed to have five Christmases in the three years of the Korean War. <laughs> Some were in July. <laughs> but really, just really, really quickly, uh, to that point of making like the MASH timeline, the MASH Master timeline, um, on the, the Quora question, and this will be in the show notes, that I saw that attached to. Um, somebody had raised the point that, well, back then they didn't film TV shows to be sequential. So it's not like, oh, this week's mm. episode follows after last week's episode and so on and so forth. It's just a bunch of stories. And people, yeah. you know, as a result, people would like try to tie things to various historical events like the president visiting and like, mm. you know, this incident and that incident. So it seems at least like it's possible, although I don't. I don't know if there's a, an official MASH timeline or not. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> there are only 30-minute episodes. I was going to say, I wonder if MASH is like... The, I wonder if MASH is the perfect time capsule, or if not the perfect, a perfect time capsule of kind of non-participatory fan culture. Mainstream fan culture, yeah. I would say. Because when we talk about a lot of fandoms, we very much see the passion you were talking about how the show kind of ends and people are just okay with it. You're talking about how even in 1983, when that newsletter had started, people were having a hard time finding other fans. And admittedly, different time period, harder to connect with people unless you're creating phone lists or mailing lists yeah. or, or whatever. And it's very easy by comparison today. But from some of the other fandoms that we've looked at, ones that are more participatory, talking about even Star Wars, which starts at a similar time period in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. you have there people who are insanely passionate so passionate that today we have even more star wars and admittedly like star wars is a science fantasy series it can go in a lot of directions you can only say so much about the the korean war but like at the same time it's very much a oh this was a show that was popular on television because it was good but it was good because it was made for everyone and because everyone saw it it's not a show that's necessarily trying to say 
a ton of things, or maybe it is, depending on your opinion. But it's a it's a show that like anybody can watch, kind of. And that kind of makes it less potent in terms of a fandom. It makes the people that are passionate, there's less of them. And the people that are like kind of interested in it, a lot more of them. Mm -hmm. You can probably point to shows on television today that are like that. I don't want to take a dump on the Big Bang Theory or anything (laughs) like that. But it's a show that's very popular. Very popular in the sense that people know it and watch it and enjoy it, but not in the sense that they're insanely dedicated to it to the point that they're i don't know trying to build a lego model of (laughs) their house their their apartment or something like Mm. that right like that that's the level of dedication we see in fandom today and and if you could quantify the level of of someone's fandom like that is that is the kind of passion that you talk about when you think about fans and when a show is ending, that's what you see. You're like, <laughs> I want more of this. But I think that that didn't really happen for MASH because, because it was so mainstream. Well, it's like a family guy or a, a Simpsons. People are just kind of like, yeah, I kind of like it. <laughs> it was it was definitely a very mainstream thing and definitely like a mainstream hit. Uh, fan lore makes the point that even though this fandom itself is small, within sort of general fan language, so to speak... There are a lot of references to the show, apparently. Um, oh, it was probably the Simpsons of yeah, you know, yeah, the seventies, right? Like for sure, because it's got yeah. that heart, but it's got that humor as well. Kind of mixes the two together. Yeah, um, a river of liver and an ocean of fish. Anyway, else yeah. uh, <laughs> see that? I watched one little clip just to get a taste. It's Hawkeye uh, um, at the cafeteria. <laughs> Or the mess hall or whatever and he's given the same two options that he gets every <laughs> every day he's, he's given three different helpings of various white slop and then <laughs> i say do you want liver or fish and hawkeye's like i can't i can't take any more i've eaten i've eaten a river of liver and an ocean of fish and he does this big speech about how they can't treat us like this and and, and we want something else and then he gets everyone in the mess hall to start stamping their feet and chant we want something else <laughs> And that's basically the end of the scene. That sounds like a very Simpsons thing to happen, for sure. I feel like yeah. they did that. Like I, I feel <laughs> like I've watched that scene, but it wasn't match. <laughs> oh whoa! I mean, that's pretty much the the whole Simpson uh, when when Homer complains about the tartar sauce. <laughs> At least the same oh, idea, yes. not quite the same scene. But anyway, um, talking about the show ending. I don't know if I would necessarily say people were just like kind of, eh. I think people were, I mean, I'm going to use fine, which is kind of a, a low impact word, but we're fine with it because it felt right. You know, like, I don't know at the time how people were feeling about seasons, the later seasons and, you know, oh, at the time were people thinking, oh, this is not a, as good as the earlier stuff or were they just watching it because it was still good. The The impression that I got was that it was a show that actually ended and people enjoyed that. People were maybe, and maybe this speaks to a cultural difference across the generations, but people back then were fine with something ending, you know, it was great, but it's over and that's okay. My comment wasn't so much a criticism of the ending specifically. It was sparked yeah. by the ending. It was, it was a commentary on the entirety of the fandom 
sparked partially by its reaction to the end of the show. Yeah. It's not like the fandom ended there, though. Because, I mean, you had stuff like uh, the MASH slash mailing list, which was all about (laughs) slash fic. Surprise, surprise. That ran from 2001 until later. It sounded... (laughs) Fan lore made it sound like it was still going today. But trying to look it up yielded no results. No relevant results anyway. So it continued for a while. But interestingly, the first slash fic, would either of you care to guess when that came out? 1975. Also, for reference, there is a website, mash slash awards.populous.net, which has an entry for check out the 2004 winners of the awards. So I presume that that mailing list might have lasted at least until then. At least. Uh, but yeah, still going with 1975. Okay. All right, I'm going to cut in here and say 1973. Both of you are off by 20 plus years. Oh, no. 1998. Oof. Did oh, wow. not show up until uh, the, the German-made anthology Nothing to Hide, a slash fic anthology published in 1998, uh, 261 pages, made in Hainburg, Hessen, Germany. And that story was called Three Day Pass. And yeah, in reference to the the longest uh, military pass or military leave uh, somebody can get, apparently. So like the show ended in 83, but it just kept going and going and going. Something about it. Maybe maybe it just came down to syndication. And, you know, here's this thing. It's contained. So it's not like The Simpsons. It's not like, you know, if you're eight years old today and you happen across like a rerun of The Simpsons, it's not like, oh, here's this thing. Maybe I should try to watch it all. Well, maybe eight years old is a bad example. But like, you know, if you're like a kid and you're like, oh, I want to I want to watch all of this. But it goes all the way back to the to the 90s. I don't want to have to watch that. But with MASH, it's like just. It's it's just 250 episodes. It's not yeah. 500 plus. It's not One Piece. It's Yu uh, Yu Hakusho. Oh boy! <laughs> I mean it. It's from the it's from the era where like the point of TV was to continue to have it be on. Yeah. So I think if 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 the show dealt with with things in a in a more mature way, then having it like. And definitively is probably part of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think now is a good time to bring up some famous last words. G. Yes. You had said, would fans like to see MASH rebooted? What did you find? No, they would not. <laughs> next next uh, question, please. De- um, definitively? <laughs> like, I, 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 found, I found a couple pages that were like, would you, and discussion threads, would you like to see it? And I, I did not see a single person was like yeah the people would be like and maybe i would watch the first episode but like no it would just be all like violence and sex and swearing and stuff and no it wouldn't be good um pretty much no i mean (laughs) it's it's to the point where i think like if you would make a reboot of it what are you keeping like are you doing it about the korean war again Would, would that make sense to do are you doing it about a you know a more war that's relevant to the people watching it now of which there are many shows like that already yeah 
not even would you be keeping the same characters yeah or like archetypes like it's it's a tricky like sort of i wouldn't like it wouldn't shock me if i saw mesh is scheduled for a reboot but at the same time why would you i don't know what you would pull from the original that would make it a reboot it would be yeah it would be very tricky to pull off because so many of the stories at like in mash had to do with communications right like yeah getting stuff back to the states getting information you know out to to other bases other hospitals that kind of thing and in a world where people have cell phones and i assume that you know even if you aren't allowed to use your cell phone under certain conditions when you're on a military base near military personnel you still have a cell phone you can still like very easily contact the outside world even if you don't have cell phones i'm sure there'd be a lot of computers yeah like yeah. like you just you just have instantaneous uh communication regardless yeah. so, so like, like like that episode that i watched where hawkeye couldn't get in touch with his dad to tell him he's not dead no problem over in five minutes yeah <laughs> not dead <laughs> yeah oh my god hawkeye gets a text from his dad are you dead <laughs> Like R U D E D, all all caps tombstone emoji. In a different in a different way, where Hawkeye looks at it and be like, mm, "I'll answer this later." <laughs> that that sounds more like today. Huh. Yeah. So it's like Mash, but all the characters are millennials. Whoa! <laughs> it's like some sort of weird Friends Mash. Oh boy. Speaking from what you were talking about, G, like, where do you, like, what do you do in a reboot? Do you maintain the conservative tone of the book or Mm. do you go with the liberal perspective of the TV show? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I obviously have my vote. Uh, So do I. But this was this was (laughs) something that I would not have would not have figured out at all uh, until I read this article from The New York Times about the original the real hawkeye because they wrote the book and uh their situation because especially towards the end of the show alan alda injects more of his politics into the show Mm -hmm. some people like that and some people didn't that's not important the author of the book did not like that uh and i have this quote here Uh, hornberger could not have disagreed more he hated the anti-war sentiments ascribed to him by the public in 1983 he told a reporter for newsweek that while the show was accurate in its physical portrayal of a MASH unit, it tramples on my memories. And his son, William Hornberger, told the New York Times that his father hadn't intended to write an anti-war book. My father was a political conservative, and he did not like the liberal tendencies that Alan Alda portrayed Hawkeye's, or portrayed Hawkeye Pierce as having, he explained. And, like, not having seen a lot of MASH, I just always get the impression, based on what I've heard and the little snippets and and whatnot that it's very much a show that's like yeah guys war isn't great it's not good yeah well the thing especially like sort of i guess part of the teeth in that uh that message that war is not good is that pretty much everybody there would have been drafted which is another thing a reboot would have to overcome the characters would have would be there voluntarily so like yeah why antics why hijinks you're there because you want to be there whereas with mash nobody really wanted to be there I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah, part of the part of the war is hell message. Yeah, that was like runner up for the top of this episode. But then it was a very <laughs> long quote, and I didn't want to get into it. 
my famous last words were is this another fandom that's going to die out and is the fandom still alive i don't know that we can ever say definitively and Mm -hmm. i but i think that mash being available on netflix and hulu actually for four reasons why some why any fandom exists and the, the other one is is it accessible if something is locked away on dvd or on vhs or something then it's effectively dead and no one will ever see it yeah and it will definitely die out uh so that's another reason that mash is still around and i think that hulu and netflix have injected some life into the fandom there are people that will have heard of it and will watch it again but i think it's like diminishing returns i think that there were the round one fans that were there when it aired there were the children of that and i think you might get one more generation of that and that is it and i don't even think you'll get that because as i was looking over the internet and admittedly mash's surprisingly hard to search for even if you put the <laughs> asterisks between all the characters uh there's not there doesn't appear as an outsider it doesn't appear that there's a lot of fan activity going on there's some if you go to the reddit for it you will find i don't know i think it's approximately six thousand subscribers mm-hmm. but the best posts there are some fan art or like a funny quote <laughs> not even not even i was sorely disappointed by that i tried searching for mash posting and i found an article on mashable.com about how the only good part about facebook still being around is private meme posting groups but even that was not related to mash and was sorely disappointing so on mash fans (laughs) so I, i think that the fandom is going to die all fandoms die but i think this one is going to die faster than some other things and i think mm-hmm. the fandom is on life support i think it'll probably remain on life support i mean i've had, I've had younger people come up to me at work and say, like i just found this show on netflix the other night called friends <laughs> so like, it's like I, I think i think revival. those i think it's going to be um like available and as such some people will uh will get onto it i feel like there's that echo of like the generation after mash is like talks about mash. Yeah. Like, as you said that like, you know, probably, probably saw some, some of it on the Simpsons and whatnot. Um, I know it's, I know it's referenced in uh, infinite jest, for example. Yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's, it's probably, it's probably gonna get smaller and smaller. Uh, it might not die completely. It'll be those, those curious, those curious folks. Um, there may even be a mash, subscription service <laughs> we just get all we just get all the mesh <laughs> well it's it's strange too because it's not something like comics or manga or anime or video games or any of those kinds of things or even music where you could say oh these people probably transitioned into this type of fan right like if you're talking about i don't know you you hack a show let's say then that type of type of fan probably went on to some other shonen show or some other anime or, or manga or whatnot after their interest in Yu Yu Hakusho eventually waned. But for MASH, there's it's not like, oh, these are fans of general dramedies. It's probably just these are people that watch television and they transition yeah. to watching other television. That's not really a fandom in the sense that we like to talk about it. No, I'm sure there's mm-hmm. there's there's plenty of television for them to uh, keep entertained. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so like it, for the most part, fans of MASH are not like, oh, there's only MASH. There's no other TV show. This is the best one. It'll never be this good again. It's probably just people who 
Yeah, as you said, enjoy TV. Regardless of whether or not we think that MASH fandom is alive or not, it had one thing going for it that every other show that I can think of has followed on its coattails. I'm not even saying it's the first to do this. It had one thing that everybody can get on board with, and that is rising stars getting their starts. MASH featured characters, or rather actors, such as Ron Howard playing an underage Marine, Leslie Nielsen as a colonel, Patrick Swayze as an injured soldier with leukemia, uh, John Ritter, Lawrence Fishburne, Pat Morita, Rita Wilson, George Went. I'm just reading names. I don't know all these people. <laughs> Shelley Long, Ed Begley Jr., Blythe Danner, Terry Gar, Andrew Dice Clay. Those are all names I do not recognize. Andrew Dice Clay was on MASH? Yeah. Man. Apparently they all visited the 4077th. So you know what? Whatever I had to say about MASH, it helped those folks out. Mm-hmm. So gosh darn it, it must have been amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ed Bakley Jr. would have uh, brought by some uh, cup of joes inside a dose. <laughs> Wait, that's Twin Peaks? No, that's... Portlandia. Um, Portlandia. Oh, got it. Um, as we crawl our way to uh, MASH's uh, 256 episodes, um, you can check out all the episodes we've done so far uh, at fanthropological.com or in the podcatcher of your choice. Near 100 episodes... Each one covering a different fandom every week, just about. If you have a fandom you'd like to see us cover on the show that we have not done yet, please email us nick at thenixcast.com to let us know the fandom that you uh, would like to hear us cover on the show. The podcast is fanthropological, but we three are the Nixcast and can be found literally everywhere on the internet at the Nixcast. So uh, add us. Do add us. Do add us. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of coming up on 100 episodes we are coming up on 100 episodes and that means it's time for special announcements and by that i really mean it's time to celebrate uh, not only are we coming up to our 100th episode we are going to have a special shirt that's going to be available at shop.thenextcast.com if you want to pick up a cool shirt that is our logo but also the logos of every episode we have done what then you should check that out it's not available now but if you stay tuned on our social media, you will see when it comes out. You will see the design. And if you like it, like buy it because it's that's why we made it. Uh, we are also going to be doing something special to kick off season 10 with our 100th episode. We are going to be mm-hmm. having an episode of fans of the next cast, kind of, sort of, maybe. And by that, I mean, <laughs> we're going to be having a trivia show where it's Nick against Nick against Nick mm-hmm. to see who is the biggest fan of Phanthropological. That's right. And that will show up on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash the next cast. When will that happen? Sometime in 2019. Probably January of 2019 because that is when the next season will start. <laughs> the bout to knock the other two Nicks out of the running <laughs> for winner of the trivia contest. Will there be a prize? Who knows? it's all part of the excitement yeah Yeah. that being said even though this is the last episode of season nine there will still be episodes running between now and season 10 which starts in january so if you are hankering for more next cast stuff over the holidays it's not going to stop we're still coming out every friday even while we're at magfest that's right yeah i'll never stop the next guest (laughs) it's is that, are we now just doing a Simpsons podcast? Is that what's happening? <laughs> oh boy. 
Ah, sure. Sure. Yeah, okay. Maybe we'll do a Simpsons podcast. Maybe we'll do a podcast about something else. Who knows? You can you can't make us do anything. We'll do what we want. <laughs> <laughs> I do what I want. And you can watch us all do what we want over on twitch.tv slash the next cast <laughs> where you can watch us record these episodes live. Keep an eye on the Twitter to see when we're going live. Subscribe to us. Follow us on twitch.tv. Uh, that's twitch.tv slash the next cast to see when we go live. And when you're there, you can join us, see your lovely faces, hear our lovely voices all live. So that's going to wrap it up for this episode and this season of Phanthropological. I hope you all have have great holidays. Enjoy the minisodes. If you have something you'd like to hear me say at the end of the episode instead of the stupid thing I do now, please email it to gatthenextcast.com and I will uh, read them out and pick the best one uh, on the air. But until next time, we'll talk to you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Also, just going to mention this now. Thank you, Epic Film Guys, for hosting today. Yeah. Uh, you picked an odd one to host, but I'm not <laughs> complaining. Appreciate all the help we can get. But man, this the swamp, is there a Shrek connection? No. No. <laughs> absolutely not. Get it? Is there a... No, I'm not even going to propose that. Donkey. Hawkeye. <laughs> what were you we saying before this show about characters? Well, I was, I was, I was, I was, I was on a really weird note because there's no segue to yeah, spotlight. There's no, there's no spotlight. <clears throat> I think we might need something a little bit more definitive to cap the episode. All right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Mash. Qua. Good God, y'all. What is it good for? I'm, I'm, what? No, no. <laughs> <laughs>